right. Well, let's go ahead and get started this evening, and let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. Uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, is where we're going to start off. Uh, we got through chapter 6, and uh, we left off with a question that Solomon poses, where he specifically says... Um, uh, 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 asking about who knows what is good in verse 12. Uh, and we obviously know the answer is the Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because chapter seven seems to kind of answer that question, uh, that we left off with. And, uh, we're going to take a look at some of the better things. We're probably not going to get much past verse one, uh, cause there's a lot to be said about it. Um, but, uh, we're going to read through here and, uh, kind of give, get through some of these, uh, these, uh, if you will, the betterments uh, of life. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll get started this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we are very thankful again to be here tonight uh, in uh, uh, in your uh, uh, church, Lord, and uh, in the word and in the scripture that you've given to us. And I just pray that uh, tonight, Lord, you would uh, be with each one of us as we endeavor to learn from you, as we endeavor to uh, receive instruction from your word, from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with me and my voice this evening, that, Lord, you would uh, just uh, guide and direct my thoughts and my words, that they would please you and honor you, but also, Lord, they would be able to get through this uh, without much difficulty. And again, Lord, I thank you for those that are here. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them um, as they have endeavored to come to worship. And I pray, Lord, you'd be with those that couldn't be here, uh, that are not feeling well, that you would, uh, again, just uh, heal them up so that we'll be able to be with us and be able to encourage and edify each other uh, through your word. Thank you again for this time, and I pray, Lord, that again, this is all glorifying unto you, and this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in chapter 7 and verse 1, it starts off with a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of uh, feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it, into, uh, lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Uh, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. So we've got a couple of subjects here, and he talks about a name, if you will, the reputation, and also he's talking about uh, life and death. Now, <coughs> he, <coughs> pardon me, he does do this throughout the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, talking about the gravity. There's a sobriety that we need to understand when it comes to the things of death. There's a sobriety that when we look at scripture, we find that very clearly there are things that uh, should concern us about what happens with death, what happens after death, what happens uh, during our life that impacts the afterlife, uh, whether it's heaven or hell and things of that nature. But we find here that he starts off with this uh, uh, this first part where he talks about a good name. And there's a connection with this. There's a, there's a real distinct connection with that of a good name and what happens at the time of one's death. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about this. We're going to see some uh, a few things. Uh, we're probably not going to get too far into the day of death and the day of birth in verse uh, 1, but we're going to see several passages here that talk about this idea of the good name. So the very first thing he says in, in, in verse uh, uh, verse 7 is a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, in verse 12 of the previous chapter, he asked the question, for who knoweth what is good for men in this life? Well, obviously the answer is the Lord. And here we begin to receive some of the answer. What is good for man? It's good to have a good name. That's the better part. That is the better thing that we are supposed to have. Now, we're, when we, we think about this concept of, of a name, there's a lot of things that come to mind. We start thinking about reputation. We start thinking about witness. We start thinking about uh, legacies, things of that nature. But what we see here very clearly is not only is he talking about the things of man, but he's also talking about the things of God. And that is by far one of the most important parts of a good name. And we'll get to this. But if you will, there's a parallel passage that we find over in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. This is a verse that is uh, very similar to what we see here. <clears throat> I remember I used to have a, uh, when I was younger, I had uh, one of those little name uh, bookmarks that uh, talked about what the word, you know, what the name Kenneth meant. And uh, um, you know, on this was this verse, Proverbs 22 one, it says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and a lo- and loving favor rather than the silver or the, rather than silver and gold. So here is an important thing when we start looking at what we are supposed to fix our, our, our choices upon. And that is the good name. Some people don't care about reputation. And I understand that. And, and, and we find that obviously, you know, Christ over there in the book of Philippians, he says he was of no reputation. So thinking about being of no reputation, obviously, you know, we're not talking about making sure that your reputation is trash. Not talking about making uh, our, our reputation one that is standing for something that is uh, incorrect. That no reputation that we talked about over there in the book of Philippians was, again, trying to bring glory to self. That is not what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ came, and glory was brought by the Holy Spirit and by the Father. He specifically came here for uh, uh, specific tasks to do. It was the will of the Father that he obeyed. So when we understand this as as uh, looking at names here and looking at uh, what a person is supposed to choose... We want to choose the better thing. And again, we, we, we've talked about this. You know, if, if somebody says, uh, which would you rather have? I have two envelopes over here. I have one with $1,000 and I have one with $10,000. Which one would you like? One is obviously a bit better than the other, maybe, depending on how you spend money. <laughs> I mean, again, it's all dependent upon that. But sometimes there are things that we have to choose, which is the better one, which is which is the the ideal thing that we want to do. And we use the analogy of going and comparing cars and looking at price and looking at value, looking at all of those things. So when we take a look here and he's saying that the good name is better than than what he's going to compare it to here, we have to begin to understand that there's a lot to talk about this as a choice. 
This is the decision that you make. Now, many of us don't didn't get to choose our names. We didn't get to, to, to choose our names. Unless you had your name legally changed, you didn't get to choose your name. Um, your name was given to you at birth. So obviously we know that here that this is not what this is talking about. It's not talking about your birth name. Some people wind up with horrible, horrible last names. I remember when we were uh, working in pharmacy, or um, I was working in pharmacy down there in uh, uh, Oregon, in Portland area, there was a doctor that was a frequent prescriber uh, for people, and his name was Dr. Slaughter. <laughs> um, I'm looking at that going, man alive, I think I might change my name just a little bit, you know, maybe drop the S off the first part, you know, something of that nature, but it was just Dr. Slaughter, it's like, wow, and I remember seeing a bunch of uh, weird names of people that that we would look at it and we would go, man, I would change my name if I had that, but many times people don't get to do that. Now, my father did. My father did. My father, uh, uh, the man that I know as my grandfather, um, his name was Ed Stewart. Uh, he, he was not my, my dad's real father. Uh, he was his, if you will, adopted dad. Uh, I only met my real grandfather once uh, on my dad's side. But uh, one thing that's very clear is my, my real grandfather's last name was Campbell. Which is ironic considering the clan Campbell and clan Stewart over there in Scotland did not get along. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the clan Campbell were known as very violent, uh, uh, mean, nasty. <laughs> and, and the Stewarts were known as, you know, if you will, the financiers and, uh, responsible ones, uh, that were there. And it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic, but it was, it was funny. So my, my, my father was, was born as David Campbell. But his name was changed because my, uh, the man that I know as my father or grandfather adopted him and his name is now Dave Stewart. And that's where my Stewart name comes from. Now it's very interesting to think about that. Again, you know, there was no choice in the matter. There was no choice in the matter. But what we find here is we find that the choice of a name, a good name, is something that we have the option to do. And we get to choose it. And he says it's to be chosen over things such as great riches. Some people would rather have their name just run through the mud and not care about those things and receive just the earthly treasures. But God makes it clear here that there's a better thing to choose, and that is that name and what that name stands for, what that name means. Now, again, we're not talking about the physical names that we have. We're not talking about the name Kenneth or the the last name Stuart or anything of that nature. We're talking about what is it that a person thinks when they hear that name? What's the response? I mean, if we think about this for a moment, uh, thinking about a good name, let's say you, you, you have one of your friends and, and, uh, um, you, you, uh, they, they, um, have their, their, one of their first children and you go over and you're, you're seeing the baby for the first time and you're like, Oh, would you guys name him? Oh, we named him Adolf Hitler. You'd be like, what? 
<laughs> That's actually a crime in certain areas. Uh, you, you can't name people. Or, or, or maybe, you know, the, their last name happened to be Stalin and they decided to name the child Joseph. I mean, you'd be like, I think maybe we should choose different names because those all have a certain connotation to them. They all have a certain association with them because of the reputation of certain men. How often do you hear of people choosing the name Jezebel for their girls? No, you don't find it very often. You don't find it very often. You don't see a lot of people naming their child Judas either. Because again, there's certain connotations with them. But those connotations came by the decisions that they made. And they made evil decisions. They made bad decisions. And the choices that they made affected that name, affected the reputation that we see. So what we find here is we find that this is a good name, and specifically back over there in Ecclesiastes 7, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now I want to clarify some things with precious ointment. So I want you to go over to the book of um, uh, 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 book of Exodus and turn to Exodus chapter 30. So here we have all of the uh, the law being instituted, the things that uh, uh, that God is giving to Moses to go about and do. They're building the tabernacle, they're building the furnishings, the Ark of Testimony, Ark of Covenant, uh, the altar, all of those things they're putting together, okay? And there's certain things that they needed to do during certain times. So what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to have a special ointment or anointing oil that was to be used when they anointed uh, new kings or anointed uh, priests or high priests to do those certain positions of service. And in Exodus chapter 30, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 30, and in verse 25, it says, And thou shalt make an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be a holy anointing Oil, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlesticks in his vessels, and the altar and incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all his vessels, and the laver, and his foot, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy, whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So that's their responsibility. And that anointing was very specific about it. Now, the same thing happened with kings. You go over there and you find when uh, David was uh, being selected from Jesse's sons, what happened? Uh, here comes Samuel and they go through all of those uh, the boys there and he doesn't find the one that he's supposed to have uh, anoint. And here comes David, as they call him from the field with the sheep. And here comes David. What does he do? He anoints David. That's something very specific. So this anointing with this ointment is this compound that has been put together to designate a certain purpose. Now, here's here's what God is saying with this idea of about uh, a, um, a good name being better than this ointment. Some people put value in more of a title and a position than what they are actually representing. Some people will take and 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 they are they are adamant that they want their title to be used. 
Some people, when they go through the, the, the whole idea of the, get, becoming a doctor, they want to make sure that if you call them mister, they will correct you and say, no, it's doctor. Well, why is it they want to do that? Because they want to, number one, receive accolades over what they've accomplished. They, they, they want, they want preeminence because of a position. Preeminence because of, of a position. Why don't you go over to the book of Third John? I want you to see something here. Book of 3 John. 3 John exemplifies these verses that we saw on Proverbs that we see in Ecclesiastes. Because you have two individuals that are are mentioned here in this passage. And uh, um, actually three individuals that he he goes through and he starts talking to them. And he, he talks to this guy by the name of Gaius here. And uh, specifically, he this is who it's being written to. And he talks uh, uh, about this individual in verse 9 where he says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbidding them that would, and casteth them out of the church. This guy is power crazed, is what he is. He wants the preeminence. He is the top dog. He is the number one. He's gone in and he has usurped authority in this case. But here he goes down in verse 12 and take a look at this guy. Demetrius hath a good report of all men and also of the truth itself. So here he is, he's talking about these, this difference between these individuals. You have Gaius, you have De, uh, uh, Demetrius. They are standing for what is truth. They're caring for the brethren. And then you've got this other guy that's just power crazed. He's, he, he's an authoritarian and nobody's going to tell him otherwise. And if anybody, uh, um, goes against him, they just kick, he kicks him out of the church. <clears throat> Look, if, if, if for some reason you're ever in a church that has that type of mentality, I'm just going to say, be very careful and be aware that may not be a good church. Because if you've got somebody that's going around kicking everybody out, that's probably a person that doesn't understand what the purpose of the church is. That's somebody that is just filled with this authority. And I have known many a young men that have come out of seminaries and Bible colleges and institute classes uh, that walk in with this diatrophies mentality and they walk in thinking like they own the place. And uh, the next thing you know is they start creating an unholy mess in the church. They're sowing discord among the brethren is what they're doing. And God talks about that over in Proverbs chapter 6, how he says that's an abomination to him. So we have to be very careful about this. But what we see here is that these three men that are being mentioned, we see that there are three different reputations. I mean, he talks about uh, him here where he, he uh, talks about uh, Gaius uh, um, being uh, faithful in verse 5, uh, whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Uh, he has uh, charity towards those that are in the church and all of these things. Th- th- this is what he does. But I want you to take a look at this here. In, in verse 7, because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. And again, we see that sometimes people will do something just for their name's sake. 
Now, when we think about this, we have to choose which name we're going to be associated with. This is where that choice of a good name comes in. Uh, now, when we start looking at this, we start comparing value. Let's go back over there to the book of Ecclesiastes. And here we've got this, uh, this comparison of a good name is better than precious ointment. It's better than a position. It's better than an appointment to a certain role. It's better than those things because a lot of people can be anointed and not be godly. Just take a look at, uh, uh, first and second chronicle or uh, first and second kings and first and second chronicles. Uh, go over to first Samuel and what do you have there? You have an anointed one that David wouldn't even touch, uh, even though he had multiple times an opportunity to kill King Saul, but he didn't. Why? Because he was anointed. Now, obviously, when we think of King Saul, I mean, if we were to think, was he a good man? We would be going, not so much. You know, he started out kind of okay. And then all of a sudden, he just went off the deep end. He just completely disparages the word of God. He doesn't listen to God anymore. And it creates a problem. That was his reputation. That's what he became known for in Scripture. And as we look at this here, when we look at this comparison, you know, here we have some things of value. That ointment was considered valuable. It was considered holy, actually, over in Exodus. We think about the anointing of Jesus Christ, where here comes Mary, and she breaks that box over Jesus Christ and anoints him with oil at that, at that dinner, and of course, people are sitting there complaining, oh, that could have been given to the poor, and so on and so forth. And she said, he, she's been reserving this for the day of my death. And this is an interesting thing to understand. There's that anointing to do that certain ministry and that certain work. And, and here's somebody that truly cared for Jesus Christ because he had taken her out of demonic possession and had given her a new life, and she was treasuring those things. Mary treasured that. She loved that. And she cared a lot about Jesus as, as her Savior, as her Lord. So what we find here is we see that this is kind of, if you will, a value comparison. A value comparison. That precious ointment may mean a lot to men on earth, But what does it mean to God? God cares more about what name you represent than that anointing part. Because there's a lot of people that can be put in positions that really don't belong there. Again, you can just think about it. We just just go to the, the nature of politics. There's a lot of people in position of politics. They really should not be there. Matter of fact, some of them should be in jail. But you think about this very clearly that God is talking about what are we going to esteem as valuable in this life? Now here he's talking again about who knows what is good and God is saying this is good. A good name is what you need to seek after. If a person is seeking after position and appointment and things that are temporal, things that can be taken away. I mean, was not many times the, uh, the, the, uh, the kings were taken out of certain positions? Saul was removed from being king and David was put in. 
There were certain uh, things that happened with certain priests that were taken out of the ministry and new ones were put in because they did exactly the opposite of what God told them to do. So here we are talking about this, uh, this comparison about things that are valued. What is it we do value? Do we truly value that name, <coughs> excuse me, that name that God has given? That name that we're supposed to represent? Or is it something that is all about physical, fleshly, specific position, and if you will, appointment? I mean, obviously both are to be used. The ointment had a purpose and a name had a, had a purpose. But when we think about this, I mean, you think about uh, the, the concept of how a name is used and we think of how an ointment is used. And ointments were often used for various different purposes. I mean, obviously we saw there was an anointing oil that was here, but we see other different types of ointments being used. Let's go over to, oh, let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 27. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 27. And uh, we're going to see here about some things about what ointment does. Now, an ointment, not only was there, it is symbolic of doing certain, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, appointing certain positions, but we also see that it was used to cover certain things, if you will, smells. Um, in uh, Proverbs chapter 27, jump down there to verse 9. Here it says, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Uh, this is an interesting thing. He says, look, you know, when somebody puts on something that smells good, that's better than putting something on that smells bad. You know, um, if you've ever been around anybody that has done any agriculture work, you know that there's certain uh, agriculture industries that don't have a pleasant smell. How many of you have ever gone through 503 and you're driving up 503 and you get to that place right there around Winco and you start driving a little bit further north and the smell hits you as they're creating compost, fertilizer. It's got a distinct smell. That has a very distinct smell. People that are pig farmers, there's a certain aroma that you know that's related to pigs. And even sheep, too. Sheep have a certain smell. But interestingly enough, you know, back then they didn't have, you know, 15 different brands, I guess it's probably more than that, to choose from for body wash. The, 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 uh, the body wash in the shampoo industry had not really taken off at this point in time. It was, it was you washed, uh, uh, yourself in a creek, and you washed yourself and bathed yourself and cleansed yourself, uh, you wiped yourself down, so on and so forth, and then they would go through a process of anointing themselves so they didn't smell, they didn't stink. And what does it do? Uh, it, it is an ointment and perfume, rejoice the heart. It's it's a good thing. It's a good smell. It's something that that is pleasant, that relaxes. It brings some peace. And that's the same thing that hearty counsel is supposed to do from a friend. Some people don't take counsel. Those are generally the people that are filled with pride. But here, very clearly, this is an, an, an ointment. It's meant to help heal. It's meant to help bring about... Uh, if you will, a different smell 
Sin stinks. I mean, now they have, you know, antibacterial ointments that you use to, to help clean wounds and cleanse wounds and stuff like that. Which is kind of funny because everybody thinks about, you know, Neosporin and things like that. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of the statistics about Neosporin is with that ointment, 50% of the people that it's ever been used on are allergic to it. They never know. And they can't figure out why it's not healing their cut and it's, the cut's getting worse. It's because they're allergic to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I found that out, I was like, why is that even still on the market then? But all right, you know, such is life. You know, people put that out there. But the idea behind the ointment is it's supposed to cleanse the wound. It is supposed to make things smell good again. It's supposed to go through a healing process. All of those things are supposed to exist with ointment. So we would think that that's a good thing to have. That's a good thing to have. But God is saying, while that may be valuable, the better choice is who do you represent? Who is it you're representing? Go over to the book of Psalms. Go to Psalms chapter 132. Or, excuse me, 138. Psalm 138. <clears throat> you know, a name is only as good as the words that come from that individual. If a person is known for uh, being, um, uh, if you will, incontinent and shooting their mouth off when they're not supposed to, Peter, <coughs> um, <laughs> uh, when, we, when we think of people like that, and we think of people that uh, maybe never say the right thing or people that are uh, pride-filled in their speech or people that are uh, vulgar in their speech. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can think about with this. So when we start thinking about how a person begins to look at their name and what they represent, one of the very first stops is we have to look at God as an example. And it starts off with the words. God devotes a very large portion of Scripture to the words that come out of our mouth. More so than I say than some actions. He talks a lot about what comes out of the mouth than more than what we see. He talks more about words that come out of our mouth than actually what we hear. So take a look at Psalm 138, and I want you to see something here that God says specifically about his word and his name. And take a a look here at, uh, oh, see here, what's that? What's my reference here? I hate it when I do that. Uh, Verse (laughs) 2, he says, uh, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name, for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. It was interesting. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, two men after church and we were, uh, the subject of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses came up. Uh, and Jehovah's Witnesses are all about spreading the name of God. Hence Jehovah's Witnesses. And I remember one time that they were, it came to my door and they knocked and they introduced themselves, said they were from the kingdom hall and so on and so forth. 
And they were going around to see who knew what the name of God was or is. I I, I kind of looked at him and I tried to be as respectful as I could with this. And I asked him, which one? And they're like, well, God only has one name. I said, no, he doesn't. I said, are you talking about the one over there in the book of Exodus where he said, I am? Are you talking about the Lord God? Talking about God the Father? Are you talking about Jesus Christ? And of course you say that and they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not talking about him. Because they don't believe Jesus Christ is God. Well, that automatically kind of discounts the whole salvation part for them. I mean, that's part of salvation, believing that God came and gave himself for us. But they they absolutely don't believe that. They they, they kind of became argumentative because I was dodging their, their, their question. But I wanted them to understand that all of the names that God puts in Scripture are important. I mean, Jesus Christ is called over in Isaiah chapter 9, Counselor, Mighty God, Wonderful. Uh, ever, he, Jesus Christ is called the Everlasting Father, by the way, which is also, again, a picture of the Trinity. Um, he has many different names. He's called the Captain of the Host. He is called the, the, the Good Shepherd and the Chief Shepherd. He's called the Door. He is called the Bread of Life. Uh, he is called the Light. He is called the Lamb of God. I mean, again, we can start going through names. You can find a lot of names in Scripture. And there's there's well over a hundred names for God in the Word of God. And again, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, well, which one are you talking about? He's known as the Spirit, God's Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, uh, Spirit of Truth, uh, Comforter. I mean, again, we see all of these things being listed about who uh, who God is. All of these names are there. But notice, all of the names in the world don't mean a thing unless there's power behind it with the truth of the word. And this is what he talks about in this. He says, I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And then he clarifies this with that colon. He says, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He puts the name, the word of God is put above God's name. And I referenced this passage to them and they didn't know what to do with that. I said, here's the issue. I said, you've got to believe this book before you start believing anything about a name. Why? Because we have to understand that God is not a man that he should lie. He is truthful. So we have to believe scripture for what it says. And I pointed out, I said, and what it says about your religion is that if you do not trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will die in your sins and you will have no forgiveness of sins and you will wake up in hell. And they're like, well, the Bible doesn't say that. And I'm like, (laughs) so, you know, you get frustrated really quickly with that. You go over to the rich man and Lazarus and they're like, well, that's talking about the grave. No, it's not talking about the grave. When's the last time anybody did anything in the grave? But what we see here very clearly is that there's an importance put on what comes out of our mouth and the connection with the name. 
what comes out of our mouth should be holy and acceptable unto God. It should be, as we, you know, you go over to Psalm 34, 1, you see over there that it's supposed to be continually praising him and blessing him. That's the purpose of our name, or uh, of the word of God, or excuse me, our words, you know, glorifying him. So when we begin to look at all what, what is going on with the, this passage, we find that it's connected to what we do and what, to what we say. This name is going to be chosen, and this decision is going to to make our name what it is. Is it going to represent evil, or is it going to represent good? Is it going to represent a witness? Is it going to represent a testimony? Go over to the book of, uh, um, uh, uh, let's start over there with uh, Titus. Let's go over to Titus. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> um, oh, let's see here. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And a lot of people talk about this is what a pastor is supposed to be. So a bishop is equivalent of a pastor. There's some things about how deacons are are to to have, and we'll see that in just a second here. But here he says um, about uh, how Titus was supposed to go and appoint to ordain these elders in every city in verse 5. He says in verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, uh, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able to, uh, may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Those are qualifications of what somebody that is going to take the role of a pastorate should be. Now, let's just make this clear. That is supposed to be every single man. That is what they're supposed to represent. Not just somebody who's doing this to meet a qualification. This is what the expectation of God is about everybody. People will say, well, pastors are supposed to be given to hospitality. No, all Christians are supposed to be given to hospitality. All Christians are supposed to be able to teach. All Christians are supposed to be able to do these things here. But we know that not every one of them does it. Because, again, there could be an issue of diligence. There could be an issue of uh, lack of maturity. There's there's a lot of things that could be. Go over to um, uh, 1 Timothy. <clears throat> Um, in First uh, Timothy, we see here uh, some things being talked about. Um, in chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's, it's good to desire to be a pastor and to do those things and to teach people. Says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. He says, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach 
and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. So th- this is this is the, the the setup. This is how they're supposed to be found. This is how a person is supposed to be behaving when they're selected for this position. And again, this isn't something that somebody's supposed to go through a checklist and try to meet. All of these things are found in Scripture about how we as Christians are supposed to behave. There isn't one here that is specifically given, uh, that is, you know, if you will, marks a person for that specific role. All of these things are the way that a person is supposed to be found when the need needs to be filled. This is how God expects. But I want you to take a look there. In verse 7 it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. He has to have a good report. And he says, Moreover. Moreover. So all those things that he just listed, he said, "Those are, that's good, that's supposed to have, but here's what's supposed to happen. That person is supposed to have a good report for them that are without. What is he talking about without? He's talking about those that are not in the church. What, what kind of reputation does he have at the workplace? What kind of reputation does he have where he goes with his friends? What kind of reputation does he hold when he's not in church, not around brothers and sisters in Christ? What reputation is there? This is that good name. When somebody says your name, what is the first thing that they're going to think? You ever played those word association games? Somebody says your name, what's the first word that pops to their mind? You know, there are good friends of mine uh, that, uh, you know, when anybody says his name, the very first word that pops up to my mind is faithful. There's a pastor down there in Portland. Uh, he's He's been faithfully at, uh, um, at that work for a long time through everything that he's gone through. And I think one of the key things that he is to represent as a Christian and as what the Lord has given him as a ministry is just faithfulness. And his name's Rich Glenn. Whenever I hear Rich Glenn's name, the first thing I think about is he's faithful. He has not thrown in the towel, nor will he. Until he dies or the Lord comes back, either or, he is faithful to that ministry. He's, that's what he is. He's got a reputation. And you know what? His coworkers feel the same way. Uh, back when my wife had a, a Volvo XC90, you know, we took it down to Jim Fisher, which is where uh, Rich works, and uh, we would uh, talk with uh, those that were there, and, and we're like, "Yeah, we know Rich," uh, and and I would say, "I've known Rich since I was 17 years old." And they're like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, I remember when he came here to the Portland area and he started his church," and they were surprised. They're like, you've known him that long? He's been here and had this church for that long? And I'm like, yeah. And they they will say, Rich is a good man. They will say, Rich is a good, faithful, diligent worker. You know, that's the way that we're supposed to be viewed. This is that good name. You know, just because somebody, again, has a position doesn't mean anything. 
In the fleshly, uh, you know, physical world, a precious ointment, okay, that's great, but a good name is much more valuable. A good name is what we are supposed to be choosing in this life. You know, those ointments are used to delight senses and things like that, but does a name that we have, the name that we have, is it one that, that brings a, 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 a thought of virtue? Is it one that uh, says that it's more valuable than an earthly treasure? And some people will sit there and they will try to get their earthly treasures. They'll try to get as much wealth as they can. They'll try to get as much money as they can. They'll try to get all that they can ever get. But the end result is that their name just means when somebody says their name, people think of them as greedy. I mean, again, if I was to say some of the top richest men in the world... Would you necessarily think of a good name with them? If I was to say the name Elon Musk. You know what the first thing that pops to my mind is? The videos of him smoking pot. Not Tesla. That. Bill Gates. Some of the things that pop up to my mind is the way that Microsoft has treated some of its employees. And I've known them personally. They have little to no tolerance sometimes for Christians. What's the guy's name? Bezos? What's his first name? I don't remember. Jeff Bezos. Now, these are all guys, and I think of him, and I think of, you know, his ridiculous thing that he, you know, launching himself into space. Do I think of them as good businessmen? That's not the first thing I think of. I think of other things. All these guys have all this money in the world to be able to build spacecraft and launch things into the sky and and fund foundations and vaccines and whatever else it is and do all of these quote-unquote good works and, and buy Twitter and everything else. And, and that's, that, that's great. But, you know, when I think of the name Charles Spurgeon, I think of something different. I think of a, a young man at the age of 15 who trusted Christ as his Savior and began pastoring a church at the age of 16 and had the very first, if you will, mega church that ever existed where he had over 6,000 people in the 1800s in a church in London. At one of the most depraved times in London's history. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. Billy Sunday. And again, I'm not trying to laud the men. I'm saying that there's a reputation. Those reputations that they have are one for Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday would preach Jesus Christ. He would preach liquor stores into closing. Now, we think about those type of mentalities, and we think about guys like Charles Wesley, which was one of the songs that we sang this morning, and can it be? 
and the convicting nature that is there. All of these men, when I think of them, I don't think necessarily of, yes, they did all those great works, but the very first thing that I think about when I think of Billy Sunday, Charles Wesley, uh, um, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Fanny Crosby, all of these individuals, you know what I think of? I think of individuals that had a love for Jesus Christ and gave their life diligently to the service of their Savior. That's what I think. And their names, that's more valuable than any 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 wealth that they could have ever had. Any wealth that they could have ever had. So as we begin to think about this, it becomes a choice of what do we want? Do we want the things of the world or do we want the things of God? Because remember, what is good comes from God. Good works, that comes from, you know, obviously something that we're ordained to do, specifically from God. If it's not good, it's not from God. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have this virtue and this honor of virtue in our name, and that is to represent Jesus Christ. You know, the association of a name and its its actions and its conversation is, is important. Go over to the book of Matthew. Take a look at Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see this here. Matthew chapter 26. And we talked about this, this, this subject here, this exact instance. <coughs> Matthew chapter 26. <coughs> Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 6 it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came Unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But it was his disciples saw they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, if you go over to the parallel passages of when this happened over in Mark chapter 14 and John chapter 12, you find out some of the people's names, specifically the one that started this whole concept of why aren't we giving that to the poor? Why aren't we putting this in that purse that we have so that we can, you know, give that to the poor? You know who started that one? Judas. And why did Judas start it? Because he was a thief and he had the bag. That's, that's, that, that's Judas. But when we find it also that it's Mary here, Mary Magdalene. And and in verse 10, here's when Jesus understood it. He said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. Notice it's good. For ye have the poor uh, uh, always with you, but ye, ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, whether or wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. It's recorded for a memorial for what she did. You know what she chose? She chose Jesus Christ over that ointment. Now that costs a lot of money. And people were, you know, as Judas led these disciples astray into thinking, they were mortified by the fact that that could have been used. 
You know, a lot of people talk about the social gospel, about doing good unto others and not telling them about Jesus Christ. Look, it's good to, 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 to feed somebody, but if you don't feed them the word of God, there's a problem. It's good to give somebody, uh, you know, the uh, shoes and clothes and things of that nature, but if you don't give them the gospel and they die in their sins, there's a greater problem. The physical things we've got to understand are not the important part. What is important are the spiritual things. That good name that is to be chosen. She chose that and God gave, if you will, a good name to her and memorialized it. Memorialized it. And what do we find about the name of Judas? It goes into the next verse where, where the, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest. And what is he doing? He's betraying Jesus Christ for the money. He couldn't get the money from the ointment. So what does he do? He's going to get the money from somewhere else. Judas was all about the riches, the position. He was not about Christ. He was selfish. And what we find here is this association with the name. What is our name associated with? Is it associated with the name of Christ? You go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4. And actually turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll take a look at Acts chapter 2. And then we'll take a look at Acts chapter 4. And we'll close here. Acts chapter 2 and in verse 21. It says, And it came to pass that whosoever call shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That matches what it says over there in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is a very important principle for us to understand. Go over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and take a look at verse 12. And what does it say here? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. There's no one else on the face of the earth that we can invoke to receive salvation in any way, shape, or form. It's Christ and Christ alone. I made mention of it in Acts chapter 2. It makes mention of it over there in Romans chapter 10. It also makes mention over there in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he's beginning to address the church here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> In verse 2, it says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're called to be a saint. With all that in every place call upon the name of, the, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And here he is in this salutation, greeting them, saying very clearly that to be a saint, it involves the name of Christ. To receive sanctification, it involves the name of Christ. And you go back and you think about one of the greatest names of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, the Word. The Word. What is the association with the name? What name are we going to choose? Are we going to choose His name? That's the good name that is better than anything else. Yeah, there's all these kings and priests that could be anointed with all these things, but it comes down to this. It comes down to the name of Christ. 
When somebody says the name Ken Stewart, do they think that is somebody that preaches Jesus Christ? Do they think that that is somebody that is going to do that which is right and that which is good? If they look at somebody in their name and they think, well, that person's just a liar or that person's a thief or that person is uh, doing this or the person's doing that and the world looks at them and says that is an unreliable person, that is a person that I cannot depend upon, that is a person that is an aggravation to me, that is a person that is a thorn in my side, then we are not choosing a good name. And our name that we have chosen is not the name of Jesus Christ. We may have chosen our own name. We may have chosen our own name to elevate that name. But the name that we're supposed to lift up, the name that is above all names, is the name of Jesus Christ. None other under heaven can be used for salvation, save his Now, next week, we'll talk a bit about the day of death and move into this day of birth and the comparison there in this first part. Now, it's it's important to understand this because, again, what we're doing is we're establishing that the better choice is always going to be God. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. The better choice is always to choose to do what God wants, his will to do what is right, and to choose him as that good name over anything else that is in the world. And the day of your death is better than the day of your birth, and it all comes down to what you have chosen. And we'll get down to this uh, more detail in just a bit uh, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you teach us specifically about your name, our association with that name, and what reputation we have, Lord, and whether it speaks of the testimony of what you've done for us or whether it speaks of simply us in our own pride. Lord, may we have a name that is chosen to be good, and that is your name, that we would represent all that you've done for us, that, Lord, we would bless your name, that we would praise you and praise your name and your works all every single day, that, Lord, somebody would see something different, peculiar about us, that we would have an opportunity to give the gospel that someone may be saved. Again, Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for those that are here. Pray you keep us safe as we return back to our homes and come back on Tuesday and Wednesday throughout this week. Lord, again, I thank you for all you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.